Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are our Father and that you love us, that you're a good and perfect Father. We thank you that you bless us and that you love us, that you're just so wonderful. We just pray that your word be alive to us, that we may know you more in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just find where I am on my notes. I um, grew up in a, on a mission for the about first 12 or so years of my life. Um, and it was a, you know, obviously a Christian mission, but it was a very, um, run by a very conservative church group. So my whole growing up years, great foundation in the word, lovely people, but very, very conservative. And um, part of the whole belief system they had growing up is that you served and you served and you gave and you gave and you expected nothing back. Now, their cultural serving was fantastic, you know. Um, and my, my dad has also very much, it's a part of who he is. He's a, his, his sort of gifting to life is, is, is service. You know, if you want anything done, then dad will do it. He's one of the first to jump in and do it. There's a busy bee. He'd be there. If something needed fixing, he'd be there. He's very good with his hands. And that was just how he did it. And so my whole life was surrounded by serving. You know, we had a job list and you went out and did a job list and you got pocket money. The pocket money never quite equaled the job list. In my view, it wasn't, you know, the per hour rate was very low. If you're lucky, <laughs> you know, and um, I had enough. I mean, Anna's talking about her 40 cents. I don't She was about three at the time. <laughs> it wasn't her later years, that's for sure. But I grew up in this culture and it said that to be a Christian, you served and you served and that's all there was to it. So if anything was on, you know, we rocked up and my mum is a bit the same, so we sort of rocked up to everything and we had to do everything. I can remember, you know, clearing weed patches with shovels that were like, you know, massive, because we were in the bush, massive areas of, you know, just weeds. You're having to go through and clear them all with a shovel. Don't worry about the tractor over the side. No, we're going to do this by hand, you know. Um, and this was the culture, you know, when I, as we, when we left the mission and we, we moved into town and went to the church, um, I became the sound mixer, which meant that I was there, you know, setting up on a Sunday. I was one of the first in, the last out to, to do all that. Um, had the practices on Saturdays, practices on Tuesdays. And it just seemed like my whole life really was about turning up somewhere to do something. And that's not a bad thing. I'm not complaining. You know, got a good work ethic out of it. Um, learned the value of serving. And we're called to be servants. We're called to serve God, and we need to serve. But what I've come to realize over probably the last few weeks, as Dale and I have walked through this, you know, Karen Leafs, you know, working, learning about neuroscience and about um, how we think and so on, and, and stepping into blessing and looking at what God's Word says about that, 
what I've come to work out is that I have no expectation on my giving. Or I have low expectation on my giving that I would just give and give because the culture I grew up with you gave and you did not ask for anything back. And if you needed something doing, well, you just hoped that someone would do it, otherwise you just had to find a way to do it yourself. Which is great for learning independence, not great for learning interdependence. And it also cuts off a whole view of God that is often missing in the church today. And that's him as father. Because you see, when you spend your whole life as a servant, it's a servant to master mentality. That God is up there, he is master and Lord of all, and our job is to serve him. And that is not wrong. That's correct. We need to have that mentality. I think more and more we we see the lack of that today, of that authority that is God. But the other side that was often missing from when I grew up was that he's actually a father who loves us, who wants to bless us, who wants to do good things for us. And I know that in my head. I know that I'm a a child of God. I remember when I actually got a revelation that I was a child of God. But I've never ever equated that to God actually blessing. And I still struggle today. That God actually wants to bless us. And people look at me and go, oh, yes, of course he does. But, you know, we shouldn't expect too much. And and we get into that mentality of, you know, I I can remember being at at Bible college and having a a great debate with one of my lecturers about healing. And... um, he was a sort of lecturer who would, he would bring a topic in just to have a debate because that's how he liked it, you know. Um, it was, I, I actually got A's through that class not because of the work I did and not because he necessarily agreed with my position but because he marked you on how involved you got in the class. And we literally, class after class, went toe-to-toe over certain subjects. Um, but his whole thing was, he says, look, to come to God... To come boldly to God, because we're told to come boldly to the throne of grace, the word says. And his view was to come boldly was to actually ask, is coming boldly. And that humility is accepting God's answer. And I have a problem with this. Because you see, we already have God's answer. We're talking about healing. We already have God's answer around healing. He said things like, Jesus took up all our infirmities and carried all our diseases in Matthew, quoting Isaiah. He said things like, by the stripes of Jesus, in other words, by Jesus being whipped and beaten and crucified, you were already healed. So that means that we actually already have all the healing we'll ever need. We just need to receive it. And we've talked about that previously. I'm sure we'll talk about that again. So that's not humility to say we accept God's answer because we already have God's answer. I'll humbly accept his answer, which is healing. There is no variation on that. He either took our sickness or he didn't. And he's not up there, you know, and this is the view that we have, this this religious view that God is up there, the keeper of all things, and he's holding them and going, okay, convince me to give it to you. Why should I give you healing? Why should I bless you? 
Why should I give you good things? Because we're told, and this is what I grew up in, we're told that it's spiritual to be poor. That in, you know, if you have wealth, well, it's going to corrupt you and it's going to turn you away from God. And if you're healthy and everything's going well, well, your automatic response is you're going to walk away from God. So therefore, you need things like sickness and you need things like poverty and you need things like lack and problems and issues because they keep you dependent on God. And that's the viewpoint, which the more I say it, the more stupid it sounds. Because you see, it comes back to one simple thing. It says he is our loving father. And he actually says in Matthew 7, verse verse 7, he says, Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Do you like that? For everyone. Anyone here? Not an everyone. Okay, cool. That's all of us. And he who seeks, find, to him who knocks, it will be open. Or what man is there among you? If his son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. I can't say I've ever done that. Any of the dads here done that? Your kids come in and go, I'm hungry. Cool, have a rock. <laughs> or if he asks for a fish, he'll give him a snake. Now, I grew up in the bush. That has a slightly different meaning. Snake tastes terrible, just if you've ever had it. Don't like snake. It's up there with kangaroo tail. Kangaroo steak's beautiful. Kangaroo tail, it's a bit like snake. Not my favorite thing. But that's all right. Some people like it. It's their taste. But he says if they ask for a fish, are you going to give them a snake? And he's not talking about a dead snake. He's talking about a live snake. See, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven... Give good things to those who ask them. Now, I would never, ever get my kid and go, you need to be taught a lesson, have cancer. Or, you know, you've been a naughty girl, let me break your arm. See, we laugh at it because it's stupid, isn't it? You go to jail for those sorts of things. So why do we think a good, just God thinks that way? Then he looks at us and goes, oh, well, you've been a naughty people. Have sickness. Have disease. See, that's religion. What does religion do? Religion binds up. What is Christianity? It's relationship between us and our Father. Religion is law that binds. But what we have is a relationship with our Father. And he's not like, I mean, I had a pretty good, I've got a pretty good father. I guess I have, I still have. I've got a good dad. But he doesn't compare anything to God. And you may have had a, a rotten father, I don't know. But no matter how good or bad or ugly your father was, he doesn't compare to our heavenly father. Who says, you know, and what he's saying here is, the goodness we have towards our children is so insignificant to how good God gives to us, it's like we're being evil. That's how good our Father wants to be towards us. That's how good 
And I mean, and I want the best for my kids. You know, when, when I see them hit tough times, I try and find a way to get them through it. And sometimes you have to shut up and sit down and sit on your hands and let them find their way through. But you know you're there that if it gets too bad, you're there to help them through. You know, I want to find ways to bless them. I want to find ways to do good things for them. I want them to experience. I can remember being away and when we were in Europe and actually being frustrated by night because we were waiting for money to come in and we had enough for accommodation and we didn't have enough to do anything else and being really frustrated because they wanted to go and see a castle. And every castle in Europe was blooming expensive. Couldn't believe how expensive they were. And being frustrated as a father because I wanted to bless them and take them through a castle. And sitting there having a good old whinge about it with Dale, or to Dale, not with Dale. Guess what we did the next day? We went through a castle. Someone else paid the bill. That's our Heavenly Father. You see, I wanted it for my kids, but He wanted it more. That's the Father we have. And we need to get our minds out of the gutter when it comes to our Heavenly Father. He is not up there holding back. He is not up there going, are you good enough? You know what? My kids are never good enough. They're brilliant. They're wonderful. I love them so much. Even when they fight with each other or get upset or try and talk over their dad. Or borrow his car and return it with no fuel. <laughs> or get in with their footy boots and just put grass and mud right the way through it after he's cleaned it. And you get frustrated as a father. And you get angry sometimes. And you have to discipline them. I don't know about you, but I hate disciplining my kids. There is no fun in it. And if I can find a way around it, I do. But I love spoiling them because you can't spoil them unless you don't discipline them. And our Father does discipline us, but He doesn't do it with sickness. He doesn't do it with poverty. Do you know how he disciplines us? With his word. Because you see, when you step away from God's plan, you step away from God. And that absence you have of God in your life, I don't know about you, but I hate that. And I just want to get back to him. Because he loves us. He wants good things for us. And what really got me thinking about all this is, you know, I mean, I grew up with parents who, who didn't have a lot. They were missionaries. Not the modern style missionary where you head off with a wage and everything else. Back then, you had to raise your own support. And I can remember our holidays involved going places like Sydney, where my dad was from, 
and going around all the churches, the amount of times, I, the memories I have of sitting on the curb or on, you know, your churches used to always have those, those rocks they'd painted white, yeah, at the front of, front of the church, sitting on brick walls or on these rocks painted white. I had, given this Bible, had these pictures all through, just sitting there, flicking through, looking at the pictures of my Bible, because I've been sitting there for about an hour, because my parents were networking, because that's how they raised their funds. They had to go and speak in these churches and talk to these boards and missionary groups and so on who would support them in doing what they did. So we weren't rolling in cash, but it doesn't matter. But see, part of that is what my parents learned and and what I taught through the group we're a part of was that if you gave, you didn't expect anything back. And we live in a society that sort of says that, that God is not our source. We're his source. It's our job to fund everything God wants to do. And that's actually incorrect. Not the thing you say in the middle of a building fund, but hey, let's do this. Because <laughs> I want you to get the heart of why we give. We don't give because God hasn't got enough. We give because God has given to us. And we're grateful. But he also told us to actually give and expect something back. And for me, that's hard. I'm an independent type guy. You know, I work, I make my money. I work my way up the ladder as much as I can. I make my money, I take care of my family, I look after things, it's all good. One of the hardest things was actually standing up here a couple of weeks ago and talking about the building fund and going, hey guys, we need to get behind this. I find that really hard because I know where some of you guys are at and the financial situation that you're in. And that when we go into this stuff, it puts pressure on us all. I mean, there's a good chance I'm going to walk into my job tomorrow morning and actually be retrenched. When I say good chance, it's about a 99% chance. So I'm not talking from a point of, hey, all right, it's no great secret. The company I work for, going through some massive financial difficulties, they've got to cut a whole lot of stuff from where I work. And my job was probably the first on the list to be cut because I literally have no work to do. Because all the work that I do, they do when they've got money because it's around developing leaders and working on taking people up the next level. That's my work there and the other area is special projects, so high-level projects that need to happen at the organisation. they got no money for projects. There's no money to develop staff, so everything's cut back to mandatory. That's it. So I literally don't have any work to do. You know, if, if I was the head of my, the organization, I'd cut me too. All right? So I'm not upset at them. It's a smart decision. It's a necessary decision. So where does that leave me? 
because I am that independent guy. I like to provide. I like to look after my family. Because I'm not going for sympathy here, guys. Don't go there. What I'm saying to you is, this is where I really get to discover that my father is more generous than I am. And he actually tells us, get this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Can I read this to you? Remind me to go back to Proverbs 10, all right? Because it's not in my notes, but I need to go back there. Matthew chapter 6. It says, Therefore I say to you, don't worry. Anyone here good at worrying? Anyone here who always like to be stressed? I don't know what stress is like. Of course I do. He says, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink. Don't worry about your body and what you put in it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? I always say it's easy for him to say that, isn't it? Because I've been in situations where we're down the back of the cows trying to find change to buy milk. You know, you're scrounging through the car saying, surely I dropped 20 cents or 50 cents here somewhere. I know that. You know, getting excited walking down the street and finding a 50 cent piece on the ground. Annette just finds five cent pieces. She's raising her millions, five cents at a time. <laughs> she goes, oh, look, there's five cents there. Oh, there's five cents there. In those times, it can be a little difficult not to worry, can't it? Especially when you have family that you have to care for. But God says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't gather into barns. Yet a heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they are? Are you more valuable than the birds? Were we made for the, for birds? You know, sometimes you think the way our world is at the moment that you know that we were made for the world. That we were made for all creation. We were made to ensure the whales survived. That we were made to make sure that the sharks had a meal occasionally. Hopefully not us. <laughs> you know, we were made to ensure this and that and that creation keeps going. It's actually not true. God made creation for us. That's how you know that global warming is not going to wipe it out. Eventually, it'll get really, really warm and the whole thing does get wiped out. But that's God's plan. We were made to enjoy creation. And God's view of life is that we are above creation. He says that we're even above the angels. Do you know that? That he created the angels to serve us. That he considers us gods 
of this earth. You know, we're called gods in Peter. Do you know that? Not God. But what he's saying is, we have all authority over creation. And he says, I look at the birds. The father says, and I feed the birds, I look after the birds. But you are insurmountably more important than the birds. You know, if I'm walking down the street and that truck comes bumbling down the road and one of my kids is in the front of the truck and there's a bird in front of the truck, I ain't going to grab the bird. See, we laugh at this stuff, but this is the the thinking that's out there, isn't it? I'm going to grab the kid every time. And anybody else you would hope would grab the kid any time. But we're told, oh no, the birds are more important. That's not how God sees it. You see, when it comes down, push comes to shove and that truck's coming, our godly instinct kicks in. It's only when we try and be hyper-wonderful. Otherwise known as a greenie. I'm not a greenie, as you can tell. It's only when we get things twisted and we try and be clever that we mess things up. When you get back to the basics, God loves us more than all creation. And he says, I take care of the birds, I'll take care of you. He said, which of you worrying can add one cubic to your statue? In other words, can you add one day to your life by worrying? You can lose several. That's been proven. But you know what? Worrying actually, actually achieves absolutely nothing. Do you know that? Have you ever achieved anything by worrying? Of course not. Because you sit there and you go, oh man, oh what if, what if, what if. I worked out through my work and, and so on that with most management and you know, things, what if is one of those questions everybody asks, but what if this happens? What if that happens? You know what? 99% of the time the what ifs never happen. Think about all the things you've worried about that never happened. How much time have you wasted? And he says, if you're going to worry, don't worry. There's a really simple thing to do. He says, don't worry. Saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? What shall we do? What's going to happen? He says, these are the things that those who don't know God seek. In other words, if you don't know God, then you might as well worry. Because they are the priorities in your life. He says, my way is this. Seek first the kingdom of God and my righteousness. In other words, seek God and his way of living. Just seek God and his way of living. Don't worry about all your finances. Don't worry about all the situation you're in. I'm not saying be stupid about your finances and everything else. Yes, you need to be diligent. But you don't have to worry. You know what he says? Don't worry, pray. And the peace of God, which brings all understanding, will guide you into all truth. When you don't know what to do, pray, seek God. And He will guide you. People go, Well, I prayed and He didn't say anything. No, because you're still worrying. 
You see, we get down and we pray, God, I don't know about the situation. I need you to show me, you need to guide me. I need you to move through this. Oh, man, this is really bad. God, I give it into your hands. Oh, what am I going to do? Isn't that what we do? And you know what worrying does to your body? It's really gross. It is toxic. It actually puts toxins right through your body because your body goes into what you call flight or fight mode. And so your adrenaline starts pumping. But the thing is that you don't know what to do with all that adrenaline because you, you've got this fight within you. It's not external. And so it just works up and you end up feeling all that bile and all that disgustingness and it can mess with your head and your brain and the whole thing starts to fall apart. And yesterday I started to get sick. Worrying messes with your body. That's not God's plan. God's plan is to bless you. And I had this revelation as I was contemplating all this as to why do we worry, why do we go to this place? It's because we actually don't trust God to do what he said he would do in his word. We don't trust that he will actually heal us. We don't trust that he will actually provide. We don't trust that he will be the loving father, even more loving than we could be. You know, if one of my kids came to me and said, you know, Dad, I, I really stuffed up. I've rung up this massive, you know, $5,000 phone bill. And then I've run up this $15,000 credit card. And by the way, I've been gambling and I've got a $50,000 gambling debt. What am I going to do? I'm not going to look at them and go, no, your problem. I'm going to work with them to overcome every one of those situations. I'm going to, not going to necessarily just dish the money out and go, hey, here you go. By the way, because you've got a gambling problem, you know. But I'm going to help them as much as I can. And if I have the cash, then take the pressure off and work through that. How much more would our Father in heaven? Would I pay the bill if I had the money? Yes, I would pay every one of the bills if I had the money. And then walk with them to not doing that again. How much more would our God? You know, He doesn't look at us and go, You stuffed it, you caused it, your problem. That's not God. He actually says, let me bless you. You know, he says amazing things. He says things like, in Malachi, he says, bring the whole tithe into the church. And test me in this. If I will not open up the windows of heaven. That's the same like the Noah one, we open the windows of heaven. Same phrasing, same terminology. Open up the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing. And that blessing is not spiritual. It actually encompasses every part of your life. It's actually talking about practical help. She says, I'll pour out such a blessing, you can't contain it. In other words, God will pour out finances and your needs being met 
to such a point where it actually overwhelms you. That's just for tithing. In Luke 6, 38, he says, give and it'll be given back to you. Not the same as what you gave, not less, but actually pressed down, shaken together and overflowing. And the picture there is like it's poured down your shirt and it's all coming out. Because he says, as you give. In other words, and he talks about sowing and reaping. In other words, what you sow is what you will reap. And we do that in a bad way. Oh, well, you know, they were they hit that person, so they sowed a beating. And so they're going to reap a beating. You know, well, they're nasty, so they sow that nastiness. Oh, it's going to come back and get them because you reap what you sow. And we do it in the negative. But it actually works in the positive. It's actually written in the positive. And we just love taking God's word and twisting it and making it bad. But he actually says, expect from him. In fact, he says to give expecting a return of 30 times, 60 times, 100 times. So if you have a situation, you know how you deal with it? You go to your father and you say, Father, how do I deal with this? And I find most times, you know, he says to me, he says, okay, Father, okay, Phil, give. And I go, okay, how much and where? And he will show you. And sometimes it's a little bit in a certain place. I like those ones. They don't stress me too much. It's the other ones that I struggle with occasionally. Like, you know... Car broken down, not going, no money to fix it. We've told you the story, haven't we? You know, God says, okay, here's my deal. Here's the deal. You give your car away, I'll actually give you a new one. What do you want? Hold on, God, you want me to give? It's not going anyway, what's your problem? I'm going to fix it, you give it away. So he fixed it. He paid for it. We gave it away. We caught buses for weeks. Sorry? Months. That's uncomfortable. When you live in Atwell and your kids go to school in Vic Park and there's no train line at that time and it takes you an hour and a half on a bus just to get there. And home again twice a day. But he is faithful. He's a good father. Yeah, if your dad said to you, look, give your car away. I'm going to give you a new one. It's going to take me a few weeks, but you need to give yours away now so we can arrange it. Would you do it? Depends on who your dad is, doesn't it? But he did it. And a couple of months later, we've got this fantastic new car. That's God. 
you know, so I'm driving this great four-wheel drive, and about three years later, tires are getting a bit worn. So God just says, well, you just sell a bit towards new tires. So I did. We just, I think it threw $50 in and gave it to, to, in the offering one day as a seat. I gave it, you know, God, I'm expecting need new tires for the car. That's all I've got to give, $50. So I gave it. And a couple of days later, one of the guys in my church rocks up. And this guy never just rocks up. Drops in, and we're having a chat and a coffee. And he says to me, what's your biggest need right now? I said, what do you mean? He said, if you could fix any situation right now financially, what would it be? And I said, I'd put new tires on my car. And this is a four-wheel drive that needed, even the spare was, so we're talking five new tires, about $1,000 worth. And I said, I'd put new tires in the car. He said, cool, let's go and do it. He says, I've just um, got this massive bonus from work, which is totally unexpected. I actually don't know what to do with it, so I thought I'd come around and see what you needed. So we literally drove right then to the thing, five new tires on the car. Just like that. That's God. That's God. He will find a way. And if that person won't move, he will find another way. But we actually have to learn to give ourselves permission to believe God. And this is often what we don't do. We don't give ourselves permission to let our Father be our Father. We try and have Him as our Lord and our Savior and our God. But you know what? Most of all, He wants to be our Father. Because a Father blesses. It says He delights in our prosperity. As she says, His blessing brings wealth. And he adds no work to it. I like that. That's our God. I want to encourage you to start to change how you think. And see God. Serve him. Absolutely. Give. Yes, be that person. But understand that, yes, he is our master. He is our Lord. But first and foremost, he's our father. And he made us children, not servants. When he made Adam, he didn't make servants. He made children. And that's how he sees you. His child. And you can expect from him, just like your kids expect from you, or you expect from your parents. My children have an expectation. My boy walks out yesterday sits himself down on the bar stool and says, you owe me an allowance. There is a clear expectation. Rebecca woke up, you know, because she goes to work at 6.30 in the morning. It's probably a bit dark and a bit cold and wet at the moment for her to go. So at quarter past six, she will stand there and expect me to get in the car and drive her over. There is a clear expectation. Yes, it's my day off. Yes, I don't have to be anywhere else, but no, I'm up. Quarter past six in the morning, because there's an expectation. And there's no question around that expectation. It is given with full expectation and full faith that I will meet the obligation. Because I'm their father. And that's our father even more has that expectation on us, that we will come and ask 
with faith. So I want to encourage you, if you're, if you're tithing, tithe out of obedience, tithe out of joy, tithe out of thankfulness, but tithe with expectation that he will throw open the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing you can't contain it. And I say that and I take it to God and it grates within me and my religiosity and my background. But I have to face that and you have to face that and say, no, your word says. And that's the final authority. This is not my view. This is God's view. It's in his word. So when you tithe, expect your needs to be met, not just met, but overflowing abundance. Deuteronomy says that you'll actually be a lender to nations and won't borrow a cent. You're so wealthy. When you give into things like the building fund or you see someone in need and you give to them, when you give, give it as a seed that will bring a harvest. You know, no farmer plants seed and then expects nothing back. We'd say that was stupid. But we're doing the same thing. He says, give. It'll be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing. That you receive 30, 60, 100 fold on what you give. Give yourself permission to expect from God. Not out of arrogance, but out of love. And our God who is faithful will supply all your needs. You know, you don't have to actually ask for your needs. You just have to expect. God doesn't say, come ask your needs. He says, I'll meet your needs. Just seek me. Seek him first, he'll meet your needs. But he says to ask for your desires. If you abide in him and he abides in you, he says, ask whatever you want. And we've spiritualized this. Oh no, he's talking about spiritual things. Money is spiritual. If it's your God. If it's not your God, then it's a great tool for achieving great things. And if you're worried about money controlling you and things controlling you, well, then just hang out with God. He'll take care of that. He'll let you know if you're on the wrong path. Seek him first and his way of living. And he will add all these things in abundance unto you. Ephesians says, doing exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask, think, dream, or imagine. That's pretty cool, hey? Let's pray. Hey, beautiful. Oh, Proverbs. I said it. Do you want me to go back to Proverbs 10? of the Lord. Do you know what the blessing of the Lord does? It's the blessing of the Lord makes one rich. Oh no, that's spiritually rich. Yeah, it is. It's actually, that word rich actually means money. See you know that? It means wealth. And he adds no sorrow, no work, no toil to it. That's the God we serve. It doesn't mean you can't do no work and sit on your butt. He has work for you to do. 
but your work is not your source. God is. But that's the blessing of the Lord. You want the blessing of God in your life? Then you're going to be rich. Don't want to be rich, don't ask for his blessing. That's his plan. Because you see, then you can use your wealth to change the world. You pay someone's mortgage off. They'll listen to you when you talk about Jesus. Yeah? You buy somebody a car, they'll listen to you when you talk about Jesus. We've got this whole concept that that we're supposed to be poor as church mice. Church mice should be the fat ones. Because there's so much abundance. Yeah, they're the fat ones because they're the abundance. The leftovers from all the feasting. You have to do that in the Old Testament? They'd bring in every year, once a couple of times a year, they'd bring in their crops as their tithe and they'd lay it down. You know what they'd do with it? They'd have a party with it. And celebrate the abundance of God. Step into that. That's the blessing of God. Expect God to bless you, not because you've earned it, but because you're His child. And He's a Father who loves. Can we pray now? (laughs) Sorry? Okay. Father, I thank You that You love us. I thank You you're our Father. Lord, we want to give ourselves permission to believe You to believe your word. Father, I want to pray your blessing on every person here in the name of Jesus. Lord, your blessing that brings wealth, and with it no trouble, no sorrow, no toil, but your blessing that brings abundance. Father, forgive us we haven't seen you as our Father. We haven't trusted you as our good Father. Forgive us for that, Father. Clothe us in your righteousness. We choose to seek after you, knowing that you will take care of everything else. Father, I pray for those who are struggling financially in this place today in the name of Jesus. Father, we just speak into those situations right now. Lord, we speak your blessing. We speak your blessing right now in the name of Jesus. Father, for those who have dreams, in visions that are unfulfilled because of lack. Father, we just speak into those right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, we speak your blessing. Lord, your blessing that brings wealth, that brings riches with joy and celebration. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.